Colorado Avalanche are currently first in the Pacific Division. This week's episode is brought to you by that fun fact. Safe to say this top line is the best in the league. Yeah, we are. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for January 31st or February 1st, or somewhere in the between there, because the NHL scheduler targeted me personally this weekend. Coming up on the show, the Avalanche have found a lot of success this week, and a lot of injuries too. And they need to figure out what to do about that. But before we play the whoosh, your disembodied voices for the week are, as always, Earl06. Hello, Earl. Hello, friends. And as always, Jackie Tiger Vixen, how are you? Greetings. We'll go ahead and start with a little bit of housekeeping this afternoon. Um, we're recording the show at about 1.30 Mountain Time on Sunday, uh, which, as you know, is before the game against the Minnesota Wild on Sunday night, which you have probably already seen and we have not. So, there you go. If anything completely out of pocket happens tonight that we really have to get into the show, I, there will be a coda put on at the end, but... If what we're expecting happens, then then we're just going to pretend it doesn't exist. Way back last Sunday, the Avs fall 3-1 to the Anaheim John Gibsons. Miko Rantanen gets the one. This game was suffering. Avs outshot the Ducks 33-15, but hit one million posts. And Anaheim get two of their shots to go through, plus an empty netter. I don't think there's a lot to say here. Hockey is suffering. What do you have to add? It was one of those... Grinded out California games. Yeah, I mean, they they outplayed them and outshot them, passed a million pucks through the crease as well, and it just, it just wasn't their night. Gibson was fantastic, but um, got a little lucky, too. I remember this is the one with that stupid face-off goal and giving the Ducks a lead where they could play their style certainly benefited them to keep playing that way and they were able to hold the abs off long enough they did get the one but just wasn't enough too late yeah i think the disturbing thing after this game is just sort of how close the ducks were able to play the abs in both games um the abs sort of played bad and, and won on an amazing play in overtime first game and then the second game couldn't get one to fall um you know it, it things shaped up after that but i i you know that that might have been a good wake-up call for them well Bernard did say he was happy with how much they were generating and when you're doing that it is just a matter of it'll come it's just frustrating while you're waiting for it i think that was the one where mccarr hit two posts and mckinnon hit the post all in the first period and that probably would have changed the game completely, but just the longer you go in a game like that, you're not scoring. And then they have a lead, and then they had a two-goal lead. It just it was just too much to overcome, yeah. especially when you're getting goaltending like that at the same time. Yeah, and that, that had continued an early season trend where, you know, generally in the past, when the Avs are behind, they outshoot their opponents a lot, tend to score a lot of goals. And early season, they weren't shooting a lot, and then that got better, but they still weren't getting them to drop one behind. So, um, 
We'll see how that plays out. They they didn't tend to be behind much afterwards, so... No, they sure didn't. <laughs> so, that is the end of the California road trip, which was just a slew of difficult games to watch. It was yeah. pretty bad when the pace and style against the wild was refreshing. Oh my god. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. Like as as crunchy as that game on Saturday was, at, it was it was hockey. It was recognizable as hockey. And the, and the wild players pretty much said the same thing because um, they they had obviously been in Southern California as well playing. And it just I I, I looked at I, their um, schedule. The wild have only played the California team. Yep. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, and we'll get to this when when the game comes up. But it just you know going through those teams gets you in sort of I don't know a funk, and and. Once you once you start playing real teams again, it, it takes a little while. Once you get some room, it's like, wow, look what we can do. <laughs> yeah. So Colorado will come back home on Tuesday and win a football score seven to three over the San Jose Sharks. Ranton then made it his sixth straight game to score, and he got help this time with two from Brandon Saad, Jonas Donskoy, Valnichushkin, Sam Gerard, and Devontaevs. Kiefer Sherwood drew into this game, and he was fine. Colorado completed the sweep on Thursday with a 3 to nothing victory over the Sharks. All goals coming in the third period. Nazem Kadri gets a pair, and Andre Burakovsky, who's back, by the way, got one himself. Uh, but nothing good comes for free, and Colorado started to pay the injury price in this one. Pierre-Edouard Belmar gets his knee annihilated by a Shark who lost an edge at the wrong time, and Taves blocks a shot with his boot, and the going theory is his foot still won't fit back into it. This is a game I don't remember. Uh, so y'all have to help fill that one in a little bit. I, I really only remember the injuries. Um, but There's the, a lot to unpack here. Yeah. <laughs> Do the, we want to talk about the injuries first? I think okay. we want to talk about the first Sharks game first, because that was a party. Yeah, it was It was a relief after it was so difficult to score in California. It just felt nice to see the puck going into the net again. But and... it didn't start that way. It's, I think it's kind of important to remember that it didn't start that way. The first period of that game against San Jose was ugly. No one could do anything on either team. And then the Sharks scored first, too. But uh, it was right it after It was that bullshit, that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, it was that one where... And we had beat up on Kadri and Saad a lot. And they, this was before they had the meeting and everything. Like, Bednar talked to them and the, they, as a line, had a meeting together to talk about what they wanted to do, and uh, with Burkowski finally fully back in the lineup and everything, and and so they get on the ice, and it's that, and you, as bad as they've been, you just you couldn't fault them for that, but they probably felt no. terrible. It's just this bouncing puck that bounced right past Grubauer, and Benner even said something like, "Oh, you just felt for these guys because they were the ones that were on the ice when this happened." Just a little bit yeah, of made magic up. bullshit to get the game going. You have to have a little bit of that, I guess. <laughs> um, but then, the then first thing... the Avs scored then three to close out that period, which just completely changed it. Yeah. There was the patented Miko power play goal, and then finally the Codrians. I don't remember the first two goals. I think one was the Donsk boy, and so that, that line finally got clicking. 
and uh, and yeah. then t- tapped it off with the Miko power play goal. Yeah, it was Donskoy's deflection from EJ. Reasonably sure that was in that game. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I think what really cemented this game was the nuke shorthanded goal. I mean, that that was just great. It, it's always nice to see when the big guy gets on the score sheet. And it's always nice to get a shorty too, right? It's just so demoralizing when when you can really put the dagger in. And it's a shorthanded goal for <laughs> nuke. And he's barreling down the ice. But he doesn't put it in. His skate does. That's part of him. <laughs> some respect on that goal but yeah absolutely and then uh i think sam scored the fifth one after that it was just it was over so but we deserve that after we watch four of those tight grind grinded out california games watching all those posts happen this is what we needed for sure yeah um one of my main takeaways from these two games were, boy, are the Sharks bad. Oh, yeah. Uh, you got to wonder. Are, well, they're at the bottom of the standings. Like, are they actually going to be significantly worse than L.A. and Anaheim? I mean, they've only... I, I think they still have only won one real game. Um, I, I think they still only have one regulation win, or regulation and over. And I don't think those teams have played each other that much. Like, they may have played one series against each other, but I think for the most part, those California teams have not played each other. Man, so... you want to talk about some unwatchable games. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. yeah, so that might set who really is the worst in, of that group. Yeah, I mean, and it's tough for San Jose since they, they really... <clears throat> they don't have a home rink and they're playing out of Scottsdale right now. <clears throat> um, yeah, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm sure that too. that makes a, a bad situation worse, but they just, you know, they, they're shadows of their former selves. Which does surprise me a little bit. I, I as I said, going into the year that I felt like they were the team that maybe had the most talent of the three still, but uh those games were definitely probably the least competitive between the three teams. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then the San Jose was game. never in them. Like, even when they were ahead, San Jose wasn't in that game. The, just... the second game was scoreless for quite a while. It wasn't it scoreless at the end of the third period? So, yeah. yeah. They were, so at least they, they were holding the fort down, I guess, but were that they... game also... It did feel like it was a matter of time. It did. Because that was the game that Devin Dubnik started. And the main thing I remember about that game is being just like flabbergasted that he hadn't given up three yet. Yeah, he was getting lucky. hit the post six times. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, a lot of ones that were like rolled through the crease or just barely missed the post, things like that. That was probably the the game they could have bullshitted their way to, to maybe a win, but no, it's just you couldn't hold the abs off the scoreboard for that long. And then, okay, and then that was the game that Kadri and Saad and they scored those. So those guys finally showed up, and they were the ones that scored the goals to seal the deal, which is exactly what we needed to see. If if the Sharks or someone like that's holding the top line off the score sheet, maybe it's luck or whatever. 
you still need some other guys to step up and they did yeah we'll talk about the second line uh, a lot more a little bit later in the show um but as as we continue our way through the week the next thing that happened is the avalanche called up sheldon dries Let's, let's back up. A little earlier in the week, Colorado got Eric Johnson back from COVID conditioning and to make some space on the roster, they moved Martin Kaut to the Colorado Eagles. You can probably imagine how we feel about that. But just in case, now is the space for talking about how we feel about that. <laughs> okay, well... Um, just just the Kaut part. Okay, so we're not going to talk about all the other injuries. Well... They didn't have to move him is the thing. The day that they moved him, and he was on the taxi squad, which is fine. I've never complained about him being on the taxi squad. But they moved him the day they called up O'Connor, which was also the day that Bednar said that Calvert was out indefinitely. So why are you getting rid of a player when you clearly are going to have a at least medium-term need for another forward? And... It's something that Benner had said, like, he wants to keep guys playing. He doesn't want guys sitting around. Okay, well, first of all, no, with the injuries starting to pile up, nobody is going to be sitting around, which is something I said going into this season was, if you seriously think that you're going to have guys sitting around for weeks on the taxi squad, get real. And the other thing is the HL isn't playing. The Eagles don't have a game until next week. Again, which is in doubt because the team they're supposed to play has been ordered to play in Canada. So then their next game be in Anaheim at their practice facility, even another week from then. So you're sending a guy away because you want to use the argument he needs to play. There's no playing. He, he probably literally, and they don't practice on the weekend. So he probably literally sat on his ass this weekend and I don't get it. I don't understand why they also seem to want to trade everyone out. Okay, remember, COVID still exists. COVID does exist in the AHL, by the way. You know, the AHL has had seven canceled preseason games. They had one game that was canceled in the middle of it, which nobody has even explained how that one worked. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, so why would you think it would be the best idea to bring in as many different people into your NHL locker room as possible? Is this the best idea to do during a pandemic? Yes? No? It's beyond me. So you sent him away so that you could bring up a different group of forwards to bring on the road trip. And... One of them happens to be Sheldon Dries. Yeah. And I swear to God, if they ever play that guy, I will go on the biggest tirade, which I will not do now because they haven't done it yet. But you aren't trying to win at that point if you're playing Dries. Yeah, because when you fast forward to Friday, because Colorado's getting ready to head to Minnesota for two games, and they, they need to fill out that, that roster and that taxi squad. And so they call up Shane Bowers, which is fine. Which is good. I mean, yes, that, that's something we want. But obviously, like, playing is it's another, is the it's another really thing. Um, they call up Logan <laughs> O'Connor, which is fine. Um, we'll, we'll get to him in a sec. They call up Jacob McDonald, which I don't really have any idea how to feel about. And, and Sheldon Dries, who is not an NHL player, has demonstrated that many, many times. 
and is 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 not Martin Kaut, who has demonstrated he could be an NHL player. Well, he was very successful in his nine games. Like people forget, or everyone's saying, well, he didn't earn it. He didn't earn the right to stay. I mean, he in his nine games, he absolutely earned more than four and a half minutes, and it was in a game they didn't play Belmar and Jost much. It even strength it wasn't like oh he was the bad one and you look at his statistics he 50 percent Corsi four in that game it wasn't on the ice for goal against i mean yeah there was the penalty and yeah we see byram take penalties like that's not an automatic you're you're done in your office team is is four minutes and one penalty for all the things that he had done when he was up like we forget he contributed to three wins directly. He had great analytics and he was in a role that was appropriate for him. It was like that third line role. So when we talk about like what they're doing now with the fourth line with, with Jost and O'Connor and Sherwood, which I find hilarious. Spenner called them the young guys. I think he look up the age of some of those guys. Um, <laughs> but that's fine because that's what a fourth line is. They're the energy players. Like Bowers and Cowett aren't energy players. They're guys that you want to give a third line role to. So if if the idea was to wait for guys like Donskoy or Comfer or Nuked or guys like those to get hurt, that's fine. Then then you wait and then that's when you play guys like Cowett and Bowers. But I so that's why I was fine with the taxi squad. But to send him to the AHL to do absolutely nothing is it's just it begs the question that what's the plan? What's the commitment? Do they is he just trade bait now? Because we know and we've sat here and we've talked about so many different guys. They get written off, they get sent away, there's excuse after excuse. Oh, the next time, oh, he needs big minutes, this and that. It's like, come on, we've seen this movie hundreds of times. And we know what it leads to. And it's it's a huge concern. Yeah, I think you're totally right about wanting Cout to play in a th- more of a third-line role rather than an energy-line role. Because, I mean, he really, you know, he didn't stand out in that four and a half minutes he got to play the other night. But um, he does definitely make things happen in, in more of a skilled role. Um and you know if that's their thinking that's great but again the whole thing with sending him down and bringing sheldon dries no that's just bleh. barfola right yeah what's what's the logic in that what was wrong with him being on the taxi squad he he's the guy that needs to be around the nhl nhl practices because missed that in the bubble because for some reason now we're seeing that ELC wasn't the most important thing to them in the world. And it, and it goes back to why did they exclude him? Why would you exclude your 16th overall pick that still needs to get used to North America and exclude him from that experience? It just, these things are starting to add up and it, it's, it's really disappointing. So it almost feels like the most logical thing to do at this point is to find a trade for Martin Count like before it's too late. If you if it's pretty obvious that you don't have any intention of using him, then find a way to yeah. use his value while he still has some. 
well, pretty much as much as I'd hate it, but you have to look at it. They're going to make a move at a deadline. It's probably going to be a guy like him. And yeah, I'm going to be really disappointed when it happens. But is that better than having him be Greer and getting nothing for him in a couple years? You know, I, I hope I want the best for him personally and, and someone that will play him is what's best for him. I mean, we'll see. I get it. We're still less than 10 games into the season. Things can change. God, who knows if someone else gets injured, maybe there's an opportunity for him, but it, it's got to happen quick. Like they, we're not, there's no time for excuses anymore. Like you, you have to start playing these guys and Bowers too. I mean, either you, you want to play them or you don't. It's, it's that simple. Hey, you can't just talk about how much you like these guys that never play. <laughs> right, it's the joke. Oh, he he loves Bowers so much, and yet nothing. So what? What? Where's the disconnect? You have to get these guys ready. You need NHL games. It, you look at you know, even just six games of Byram, the just knowing that he can step in for some of these guys that have already gone down and knowing that you can give him some of the minutes is because he's already had minutes. Like it doesn't even take much to feel like somebody could take an NHL role in NHL minutes. But if they've never done it and they don't have it, you're never going to look at that guy and think of them as a fill-in. So Colorado are class of the division. They they look dominant doing it. They they look like they're definitely on track to be out at worst top two in the division. We haven't played Vegas yet. We don't know. Um, so let's let's talk briefly about why this matters. Um, because in the short term, the the argument is that it absolutely doesn't. And in the short term, you're right. Um, but we're also seeing in the short term why it does matter on a from a longer perspective. Um, with the injuries that the Avs have sustained through this point in the week, through Thursday, um, plus what's going to happen in the game on Saturday, we're not sure what they're going to do to ice a team on Sunday yet because <laughs> of the cap. We're not sure if someone's going to go to LTIR or who, and we're going to talk about um, the specifics on that a little bit later in the show. But the, the, the main point is you have a bunch of guys in the middle of your roster who you've picked up out of UFA, and you pay a UFA tax for those guys. I'm talking about people like Belmar, people like Donskoy, who are they're, they're fine NHLers, sure. Um, but teams that really make it work having this really expensive high-end talent, like you were about to see the Avs have to pay for with Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr, even down the line, Bowen Byram maybe. Um, as you see some of these contracts come back up, the Avs are going to have to find a way to make their salary work. And the way that teams make that salary work is with ELCs. You need your entry-level contract guys to be able to contribute in the NHL instead of paying $4 million for somebody on the UFA market who is at, you know competent. Um, your ELC guys need to be able to fill that competent role. And if you never, ever get them in your lineup to get adjusted to the NHL speed, they never will. And that's how you end up Losing your own players in free agency, losing guys like uh, Brandon Saad if he continues to mesh like this, um, losing guys like Burakovsky down the line, um, like th this is how you end up losing players that you want to keep because they're not the guys you want to keep the most. And yeah, see it's the not scary... just the money. It's not just the money part of being on an ELC. If you're on an ELC, you can move freely between the minors and 
NHL. So you can call a guy like Cout or Bowers up, <clears throat> and they don't have to pass through waivers if they go back down. You can use them for a couple games, and them down, you know, when your roster gets healthier. And that's a big freedom. It, it it makes it so easy, you know, to have a guy that can play a competent role and you're not worried, not that you'd be super worried about putting guys like that on waivers, but, you know, you don't have that concern. So it's just so easy to use guys like that. Why wouldn't you? Well, and my concern is that there's always going to be the next Sherwood. There's always going to be these AHL tweeners they can pay $700,000 for and put in depth roles in the, in the NHL. So I don't even, I mean, when it, people say they're going to be forced to use the ELCs, no, I mean, they'll never be forced to. They should because those are the guys that have upside. That's the thing is that you have a guy taking 16th overall. He has more long-term upside than a guy like Sherwood. So what you hope is that that he can eventually be a guy that replaces Don Scoy and that you're not paying $4 million for someone that, that can take a long-term regular NHL role and produce and give you more than eight minutes a night. So that's where it's going to come up to bite him. But we've always talked about long-term it, it's going to matter even this year because the games don't get less critical. Like, it's always like this early season. Well, it's early and they want to get up to a good start and bank wins. Like for every single point during the season, there's a different excuse. Then it's going to be the, it's the playoff push excuse. Then it's going to be that, Oh, we just had the deadline. We just brought in this guy that we paid for. So we're going to play him obviously excuse. Then it's going to be, it's the playoffs. So this is important. And we don't play kids in the playoffs excuse. Like there's always a reason to kick the can down the road. And if, if we didn't see it come to a total head last year when they didn't have anybody ready, they didn't have anybody ready to insert in the playoffs. You're playing Connaughton and Drys. They both played six minutes in game seven. And on the other side of the ice, you saw the guy that the stars got ready, put up a hat trick on the abs and knocked them out of the playoffs. And a lot of people say, Oh, we were screwed anyway. We had, injuries and the goaltending I mean you were two minutes away from winning that series you can't say it doesn't matter like you overcame all of that but gassed all your top players they couldn't defend at the end of that game and the other team had got somebody ready to go and if you think that that is an isolated case that's not true at all if the abs are going to win the cup they're going to need everybody they're going to need as as much help as they can get from every single position and every single player dress. So if you're not getting Cout and Bowers ready now, then they're not going to be helping you in the playoffs. And that's when it really might matter. It's one of those things that's just kind of like basically any change is the right time isn't coming. You do it because you want to do it or you don't do it. You Pretty much, there's, there's you never can't a perfect wait. time. You can't wait for the right time. But, gigantic asterisk on that, when is the better time than early in the season when you already have a, are looking like you're going to have a pretty decent sp- slot in the standings and the injury holes are there? Like, when is the better time? I don't know. And also, yeah. what's, the, what's the disconnect between being able to be comfortable with guys like Timmons and Byram in the lineup and 
they're just terrified of putting Cout or Bowers in. You know, what, what's the difference between defensemen and forwards? Um, right. You know, if anything, a forward is so easy just to say, like, okay, you know, you don't have it tonight. You know, we'll, we'll just ease off your minutes a little bit. Like, you know, it's like Byram and Timmons last night. You know, they were two out of five Ds. You know, they were going to be exposed no matter what, and they were fine with it. So it's like, I, I just don't see how you can be cool with, with a, a defenseman in those roles. <clears throat> but you're, well, you're just, you're, you're not dealing with your forward core. Well, Byram is clearly, it, it's, it was a decision that was made from up top. It is clear, it's clearly a sackic decision, organizational. And I mean, I think Bednar is just oh, overjoyed to he, have a guy like that. Yeah, yeah we're, we're going to get to Bo Byram. To be, of course he has to be on board. Sure, absolutely. Like, but Bednar deserves a lot of credit for not being afraid of, of, of doing this and and letting Byram have those minutes and he's already been on the special teams and we'll talk about him later, but just that he's willing to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't put this on Bednar entirely. He's, he's the only guy in the equation. I mean, maybe he's not. Regardless who it is. I mean, whether it's, it's Bednar or management or whatever, it's just, why is it they're fine with D being like that, but they can't do it with forward. Well, Byram's your fourth overall pick. Like he's, he's in a different, consideration I know, but it's i, I mean the, still the timmons one is probably more applicable to right if they're doing this with timmons why the hell can't they do this with cow like okay but i'm saying timmons it's more like they're putting two rookies on the ice at, <laughs> you know in the lineup at the same time and dealing with it on defense and it's like you I, can't I even know. get one of your forward prospects in there and it's like what what is the disconnect between those two things because again it should be way easier to call up a forward and see what he's got because you know there are 11 other guys that can make up for it not just five yeah i absolutely agree with that it's why are they is it just because they've loved timmons since the beginning of time i don't know like how they've handled him is fine he hasn't played every game but he's still there and when an injury comes up he's in the lineup like cool there's nothing wrong with that so, yeah, yeah it, it doesn't make sense. And that's why At I all. go to organizational favoritism. That's what it is. And I, maybe well, Bednar's favoritism not... on defense or is it uh, just person? I don't I don't think because Timmons is a defenseman, it makes any difference. It's just because okay. they favor him. And um, and if you don't have a favor, you you're not going anywhere in the organization and. I don't think it's just Bednar. Maybe he pounds the table for Timmons and, and not the forwards. I don't know, but I don't think it's just that. I think uh, I think when you start and involve the other management, Billington, everyone, I, when guys have been in the AHL, it seems like they they try to appease Billington and how he wants to build his team down there and things like that. Like Byram isn't even a concern for those people, so they, their their opinion on him doesn't matter so all byram has to satisfy is sackick and bednar and the other guys have to go through this whole political um bunch of red tape and a lot of different opinions and it, it's it makes it really hard to advance anywhere it, it also helps that byram is, has been kind of a little bit of a game-breaking revelation at times and has really forced their hands and is demanding more ice time let alone more games played so, like, there's there's definitely a little bit of a talent gap there between a, 
a, what looks like a damn good defender versus a depth forward, um, which is where there's a lot more room to kind of wiggle on who's replaceable and who isn't. We're going to get to Byram here in a minute. Um, but I, I do, I do think that there's the, the, the parallel isn't Byram. I think it's more Timmons. Yeah. But we, we've been going on on this for, for a minute now. They probably should, should leave it behind. Just know that if the Colorado avalanche put Sheldon dries in the lineup, uh, you're going to hear some foul language on this podcast. Oh yeah, you and can book your too. <laughs> <laughs> so finally on Saturday, Colorado win five to one in crushing fashion over the Minnesota Wild. Logan O'Connor opened the scoring. Really good night for him. And JT Confer finally finds the score sheet with a late power play goal. And Ranton and Sod and Donskoyd score too. The Avs went into the third period up three to one, and you'd expect some score effects to kick in. But no. Four shots against in the third. After years of playing in division against teams, you just go, man, you cannot get behind against that team. Colorado are kind of becoming that team. And we'll talk about that in a sec, but they also lost Eric Johnson to an awkward fall after a normal hit, and it could be any one of 50 things because of all the various body parts he landed on, but one was his head, though. So it's just a disaster season for him if he's out for a long time. Yeah. You really gotta and wonder. I don't. It it it's just it it seems unlucky, but it's just it it's like every year now. You yeah, just my can't heart count breaks on for EJ. You, <laughs> you just can't count that he's gonna be in your lineup. Yeah, and then you know he had a good presser this week, uh, talking about how his role has changed. He's not at the top of the lineup anymore, and he's more of a mentor to the young guys and. You know he's very diplomatic, and it's it. You can't really read him on it, but you know I, I would guess he's probably genuinely happy to do that. I think <clears> he know, sounded just... sincere about yeah. it. Yeah, he didn't sound like upset about it, but no, um, it would it would no, be and, nice. And I think EJ out. wants to win something and be part of a winning team, and you know if this is the role that he's got now, it's it's not a bad one. Um. But, you know, that that's why my heart broke for him when, you know, you saw him just struggle to get off the ice and go down the tunnel. Um, you know, you just you wanted to be able to see him, you know, stay healthy enough to, to play that sort of fifth, sixth mentor veteran role this season. And, you know, it's it started bad with the, the COVID positive and missing camp and being thrust into a game where he wasn't ready and all that. And and then, you know, two games back and, you know, who knows what's going to happen with him now. And it it was two games against the shitty Sharks, but he looked good. Like, if if that guy's your fifth defender, you're laughing. Right. And maybe he won't be out a long time. I mean, his problem is usually the lower body stuff. So, I don't... If it's a concussion, of course, you never know. It's, It's either short term long term you never know but there there have been a lot of questions that guys get over relatively quickly and that hasn't really been his his problem in his career it's been the leg and the lower body stuff so doesn't necessarily mean he's done done but it's just it shows you just can't count on him being in the lineup is is what it shows yeah 
the trouble for me, if it's a concussion, is the conditioning aspect of it. Because he just got over COVID and then getting back into shape after that. Because when you have COVID, can't do shit. And now if he's got a significant enough concussion to keep him out of the lineup, if you've got a significant concussion, can't do shit. So he's going to have to spend time getting back up to speed again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is It is too bad. Because like if, if he lands like in that just bullshit pile of limbs and breaks you know his wrist or something he can he can sit on a bike and, and keep his conditioning up yeah i know I, I was thinking probably best case is like a broken clavicle or you know like a strained shoulder or neck muscles kind of we'll, we'll find out um will you know, we? I, I hope he can co- <laughs> we might someday well the next week will probably be telling i guess Bednar has been a little bit more honest about stuff. A little. Maybe. I haven't seen it. <laughs> well, with the others, okay, are we going to talk about the others? Like, Belmare, he said, yeah, he's going to miss time. Like, he didn't run through, oh, he's just day by day to day. Okay, he didn't lie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's an improvement. <laughs> And then with Taze, he even said it could be long term, which I would. It was weird how he answered that question because somebody asked him, "Is it long term?" And I'm surprised that he framed the answer back that way. So that one's a little hard to read because I don't like it when they answer when when it's a leading question. To me, that makes the answer less strong. Yeah, I guess it's almost say. like he likes leading questions because he doesn't have to answer them truthfully. Right, and then you're just. And then, <laughs> Yeah, you see this quote on Twitter, you're like, wow, that's interesting. And then you go back and listen to the press, and you're like, oh, geez, okay, whatever. Like, forget that. Yeah. But I'm surprised that he even, like, said it back that way. Like, oh, it could be a long-term thing. Like, what? what? And then you have Pete saying it's a bone. Yeah, and then you have Pete saying it's a bruise on the the telecast. Yeah, he called it a bruise. He called it a foot bruise. And... I said this on on Discord somewhere. Usually, when when there's an injury like that, that the teams being cagey about the the altitude broadcast will call it a foot injury or a foot issue, or <laughs> or even a lower body issue. They're, yeah, they're not come out and LBI. say a foot bruise. Yeah, I mean well, they, they may of... identify the foot because everyone saw the puck go off his foot. <laughs> like yeah, you can't be like oh that it's a lower of... body. We know it's his foot. <laughs> yeah, and like Pete, well, wouldn't say, was... Pete wouldn't just make something like that up. Like he he was saying it as a, a matter of fact. Well, I didn't watch Altitude because I needed a break from them, so I didn't hear that <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, yeah, he called but, it a footbruise. Um, yeah, that was my original thought because he took the puck off his foot and he left the game and he came back. And you would think that in the time that he was gone is when they do the real quick X-ray. Right, right, and then if it's clear, and they might then, find okay. a small fracture with you know an MRI later yeah, or something that's... like that. But right, and, and and everyone was wondering if he's wearing the skate guards, and I'm sure he was because I think I it was think... higher. I... I think it was higher than the skate guard. It was. It wasn't. I think it was even like low, like more like ankle level. I it wasn't like foot. Right, so but it's just think... I, I don't think the abs make that an option. Well. Technically, in the CBA, you I know can't, they. Yeah, I know, but, but I just right. It's an option you're going to take. To <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But I don't think that's a factor. I think it was higher than that. So, 
that was kind of my thought. Like maybe he, there was just, when he missed the day of practice, it's just, okay, it's swelled up and he can't put it in the skate and, and this and that, but it's true. Maybe it is an MRI situation where they had to make sure that absolutely nothing was, was wrong. Yeah. We're, we're reasonably sure he didn't go on the trip. Like they left him in Denver, right? Yeah. yeah. He did. Benner did say that. So, yeah. so we we that would probably then be for the extended testing or or just for purposes of you know it, it, we obviously need to give you a minute to heal this. Yeah. yeah so I guess there's hope. I you know I'll believe you. I believe that Pete wouldn't just start saying that if they were already kind of like yeah he's already got a broken. Now if you'd heard whatever. him, you you would have been like okay he's got a bruised foot because <laughs> I mean just the way Pete said it like. It, it it wasn't the kind of sentence and delivery that that indicated any sort of lie or subject. Yeah, well, I'll and, hold out a little bit of hope for that, but yeah. and they'll... it it matches up with the timing really well too, because he did return to the game after that quick break for an X-ray, probably. So it's probably one of those things they take him back to the machine. He starts untying the boot, and they go, "Don't you dare take that off! Stick, yeah. that, <laughs> st- stick it in front of the camera. Wait a minute. Say, okay, I don't see any breaks." Um, we'll see how it, how it acts tonight. And then that's just one of them. <laughs> and then the Belmere one in the same game. Yeah, that, that one, one was, was horrifying. That one was nasty. They yeah. they they showed that way too many times. Like, please stop. Yeah, I was wondering if they're going to show that, and then they showed it like ten times. I'm like, you didn't need to do that. <laughs> Poor yeah, guy. Really. Like any... That was just a fluke thing, and. <laughs> Yeah. Someone blowing a tire in front of him that slid and sort of took his leg out a certain way is that's too bad. And yeah, I think he did look a step slower. So you really got a one in his contracts up this year, too. So you hope that's kind of not it. But for it could him, be. But, yeah. but it's it seems like since Ben already admitted he'll miss time, I would probably assume it's some sort of knee injury. The ACL isn't very common in hockey, so I I wouldn't necessarily guess that one, but probably some sort of MCL, at least four to six, eight weeks, something like that. Nobody's ever going to know because nobody's ever going to tell us. Other teams, you would probably know which ligament it was by now. Yeah. This one, it's a lower body injury. And then you got to worry about conditioning a little bit with him when he gets back. So Mm -hmm. it might be time to turn the page and just... They were going to need to anyway, and I think it's unfortunate this is why, but they really didn't need to reimagine what they were. So we could talk about Calvert for a second and his, and Benner even admitted it's some sort of post-concussion. He just doesn't feel right. Um, so it wasn't like another hit or anything like that. It just, just uh, you know, he doesn't doesn't feel 100%. So... That's a that's definitely a big concern because those are things that don't clear up in a week or two. Like right. it's something he's going to have to work through. And but in a way, they do need to turn the page and move on from Calvert and Belmare. Their contracts are up, and I know a lot of people would like to see Calvert come back. You just you can't pay the guy. You need to turn the page, and if it forces them to reimagine a line like the fourth line now with O'Connor and you know Sherwood's fine on it like those guys are fine in those roles I don't know if this is something that's going to be effective for like 20 games right you put it together you get kind of a spark 
And that happens. We've seen that happen in the past before when you put some of these quote unquote hungry AHL guys, you put them together, you can get a spark. Is that something that you can get for the whole rest of the year? We'll see, but um, but they do need to rethink their bottom six. We've seen it with O'Connor specifically, where he, he comes in and, yeah. and has a couple of really strong games and then starts to slow down, falls back out of the lineup. And and if you kind of get a kind of an ebb and flow of Logan O'Connor games or he plays for a week and is, you know, really strong fourth line player and then doesn't play for a week and then comes back a week later, just leave him on the taxi squad and you're and you're you're happy with that. Yeah, I'd yeah, totally I mean, be cool with that. I mean, this is the role I think that you know he should have. I agree. Um, After the playoffs last season, this is the role I thought he would have. Yeah. And Honestly, I was really impressed with the way that that all three of those guys sort of meshed, and it. Who's the third? You know, J- Jost. Jost. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember who was on which line. Well, he's right. at center, and I guess that's a notable. Like it worked, and it it gives yeah. him a purpose and a role, and then he can be a good penalty killer. And it, yeah, you can work with that. Like you don't have to get rid of Jost just to go out and buy some better in fourth line center. Well, the great thing is, is both like we know O'Connor has lightning speed, and then Sherwood seems to be fairly fast as well. So it's like those two guys allowed Jost to play center in a way where he didn't have to be, you know, quick and on the puck and yada yada yada. He, he can be more of a facilitator, and that role really worked for him. And again, that you know, who knows what this looks like in a week, but um. You know, if you're looking to replace guys like Calvert and Belmar, um, you know, maybe Jostin O'Connor can do that going forward. I think that's a good idea because you already have it. It's already cheap. Yeah. And you're not going out buying veterans. So, yeah, I hope right. it works. I hope this is what they're Jost is never going to score enough that he's going to get expensive. Right. I mean, Jostin O'Connor, on paper, you they, they, they kind of cover each other's weaknesses, to be honest. Like right, O'Connor yeah, can can point. play forward a lot better than Jost can because of the foot speed, the, like the explosiveness. And Jost is a lot more reliable in his own zone. He's really come into his own this season as a penalty killer. Who, I mean, not that that's a surprise to this show. Yeah, and Jost has a lot more puck skill than O'Connor, and it makes up for that. So it just you know they're very complementary. As long as LOC yeah. keeps skating. Exactly. So yeah, we'll we'll see how long the shelf life of this this line is. But for now, it's good, and I even admit it works. It's what you want to see out of your your fourth line. You, you don't want to see it be the we had to dress three other guys and they'll just play together sometimes. Maybe a, a fourth line with it, an identity that isn't an island of misfit toys is a luxury. And if your team can make it happen, there's no reason not to. Yeah. I agree. So let's talk about the rest of that game. Because <laughs> we kind of zeroed in on like the lowest impact part of their roster there. Um, because Colorado went to Minnesota and kicked the shit out of them, to be honest. Like, this game was messy, what am I... but it was never in doubt. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite parts of the game was at second intermission, I looked up top ice time. At five v five, and it went Macar, Gerard, 
Byram and Timmons. And you're looking at it, it's like, all right, these four guys with basically a little bit of help from Graves on, on penalty kill and a little bit at 5v5 and, you know, no EJ from 10 minutes in the first on, you know, these guys are controlling this game and they're all under 23 years old. And it's just, you're like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, yeah, this is it, fantastic. It is a lot of fun. It absolutely is. It's great fun. It's probably been the best part of this whole season that is, is the whole decor and, and what they've, they've been able to do. And they're playing Sam and Makar like, like a top pair, like two number ones. It's just, it is really cool. Yeah. They deserve it. They played well. Makar's had some of the best analytics in the whole league thus far. And Even Sam he's really looked... sketchy in his own end by the eye test still. <laughs> he's getting lucky <laughs> then. He is. And, uh, um... Well, and Sam, it, even though I, I, I think a lot of that is having a partner that's you know, and I'm not dumping on Graves here because I'm still sort of a fan, but it's a lot different when your partner is is say Gerard or Toes or you know, Byram or whoever he's playing with. Um, I, I think it allows him to be a little bit more aggressive, and maybe these mistakes are coming because he's you know he's got that backup. I mean, he knows his partner has the speed to make up for, you know, being aggressive. Well, we wanted him to touch the puck more too. And yeah, it's been interesting. Like, of course, when he's with Gerard, like the last game, they had to play a lot of, do a lot of heavy lifting. And, but when they put him with Byram, it's in certain situations. So I understand it's not like a lot of heavy lifting, even though they do. Bednar does start those two in the D zone sometimes, but yeah. The shifts that they've had with like the top line have been some of the like the best metrics together in the whole league too. Is some yeah. of the things that they've been able to do together, which that's a lot of fun too. Yeah, when you can put that much skill on the ice at one time, you just got to do it. And it hasn't really resulted in goals, which is kind of the unlucky part. Is they had a lot of those great shifts against teams like Anaheim and. All they could seem to do is but ring the bell, come. so oh well. <laughs> That's we, only... we know Makar hits the post constantly, and he he still does. And <laughs> it's like he aims for it. Like, what is this yeah. guy's deal? And no, he hasn't scored yet, and I know it's coming. It's not like a knock on him. It's just it's kind of crazy that Makar hasn't scored yet, but it'll come. Yeah, I'm, not through lack come. of trying. So yeah, tonight. Um, when Colorado will play Minnesota again, that'll be with Hunter Miska in net, and maybe we'll find out what the lineup looks like before we finish recording, given the injuries to the, uh, to the decor, there's a little bit of a cat problem, as we've alluded to earlier, we're gonna get to that next, um, but first, I've, I've been keeping, like, you, you may hear some clicking sounds in the background of the show, and I apologize for that, but I'm trying to see if the news drops while we record. But instead, I found a different tweet that's kind of going around and, and doing doing the viral thing that's going to make Earl very happy. It says, here's what we know. Tony D'Angelo started a fight with Alex Georgiev after last night's OTL to Pittsburgh, and a miscommunication between the two had led to the OT winner. Here's what we think we know. <laughs> the rumor is Chris Kreider stepped in and punched D'Angelo in the face. <laughs> 
Yeah. Anything bad that happens to the Rangers, both on and off the ice, is something that I'm I'm a big fan of. Oh, poor Lafreniere. <laughs> <laughs> so having a good time over there in in, for, in New York State. Um, so before we get to the Avs cap issues, I just wanted to mention that there was some good news for Earl specifically. Um, and then I want to mention that we've got an absolute treat this week in the form of the Bowen Byram experience. He, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to believe it's only been a week, right? Like, now it would just be weird to see the team without him. Yeah. And I think, you know, once he settled down, and it really didn't take long, I mean, pretty much by the end of the first period in his first game, you started seeing he was getting used to the speed. He was getting used to, um, uh, you know, his, his vision was getting longer and longer, you know, a little stretch pass he had um, over the weekend and, and stuff like that. You're just looking like, okay, you know, this guy is, is getting it. Um, but I, I think one of the things that, that those of us that have watched him in juniors and, and in for team Canada is the fact that he's just really calm. Like, you know, Sam is really calm and that that's one of the, his greatest attributes, but, but Byram, it might be even calmer. Um, you know, he can have guys just like all over him and trying to just kill him. And he just shakes him off and makes the pass and, and, and keeps right on going and, and maybe you know, kills it, them back. And maybe kills him back if you're six foot six Nick Bjugstad. I mean, that's um, the reverse hit he had last night was just a thing of beauty. Um, but he has an escapability in the, you know, Sam has uh, the spins and whatnot, and his agility makes his escapability amazing. Byram does it with a little bit more power. Um, so it's just sort of two different ways to, to have that escapability. And it, it, you know, it's just amazing to watch. He has made so many like different, good, different little plays, like all kinds of stuff. Like you mentioned the reverse hit and uh, some of the passes he's made, he's gotten. And I think it's funny. I think people, cause he only has the one point so far. He hasn't scored yet. He did hit the post in the, in one of the sharks games. So it's like, Oh, come on. But it, the on ice shooting percentage is five percent with him on the ice. Like he's getting a little unlucky there too. McKinnon yeah. had like two amazing, like amazing looks that would have given Byram an assist, didn't score last night. So, like the points will come, and I think like yeah, I mean, we I, saw. I, I think he wants to stay in the lineup, so he knows that that being defensively responsible is is the key to that first. Yeah, and um, I was going to say that too. I think he has gotten better defensively, like from game to I mean, game. He's pretty good. Yeah, it's w- what he's been able to do, and it's just so funny. Like, I went I've back seen and... him covering the front for Macar when Macar wanders a little bit, things like that. <laughs> um, you know, he's and very it's... responsible with taking his man and and knowing what the coverage is, which is again very impressive for a guy who's. And his speed to get back. Like he's had to get back and pretty much defend one on ones with at least like three or four times. Yeah, that one that, that Sam put off the shin pad and he had to use at the top of the circles and had to and got all the way back on Nieto. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Nieto's still fast, you know. 
or holding off Greenway shorthanded was uh yeah that, that's a big boy <laughs> they yeah. didn't get muscled muscled away from him and so I mean we know that this is just like level one of the bow experience it's gonna take time and we've seen how Sam and Makar have grown but it is it's such an exciting beginning you know there's gonna be a lot of good moments good moments ahead and and the way they've used him like part of it out of necessity part of it like the one game that he led the whole team in ice time which it was because of the score but like he was playing a lot early on in that game it wasn't just like only garbage time and like they even started putting him on the penalty kill a little bit at the end like they'll give him like the third shift i guess you could say there's usually probably like three shifts on a penalty kill they'll put him out there on that third shift but he's still out there in in real real penalty killing time and and then on the second power play unit which has been carrying the team as far as the power play and um with Taze out that should be his spot on there since that unit's been successful i'm a really big fan of of byram closing out the penalty kill not necessarily because it puts bow and byram on the penalty kill but because it puts him specifically on the end of the penalty kill because what happens when you're on the power play you play your best players that's just how it goes. Very natural. Which means when the power play ends, you're a little bit further down your lineup. And it gives yeah, the other most team... teams almost always put their fourth line out after a penalty a power play. Right. That's because they're the rested guys. They're the other the right. other lines still are sucking wind a little bit. And so that gives the team who's been killing the penalty an opportunity to punch back really hard, really quickly. You put Bo and Byram on the end of that penalty kill, and you're going to have some success exiting the zone, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is going like, to... This opens up a tool in the Avalanche Toolkit where the momentum-killing power play for the other team is a real thing. Where all of a sudden, Colorado yeah, can kill a penalty and push hard. And, and you know, <clears throat> along with that, once the penalty killers get off, generally the Mac line. Mm-hmm. So and now you got your it, mismatch. It allows Byram to help that transition. So it's a little bit of a galaxy brain play, but I love it. Yeah. Yeah. There's just there's so many of these little good things that we could talk about, and one one day it's going to come or it'll be like the Byram game, or he. He makes a big difference where they and then they like win because of it. Even though that assist to Miko, that was a pretty, that was a pretty big point. So I'll take that over a couple cheapies, but he deserves a couple points. So help him out, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just so the the dummies that only look in the box score, like, well, he doesn't score that much. We were right. He didn't have doesn't have. Like, the offense wasn't going to translate. It's like, he'll work it out. You see the skill. You see how he reads the play and how he he works, with, especially with the top line. Like, there's points to be had out there. When, when Miko scored his absolute snipe show of a goal on Saturday, like, Bowen Byram was right there, wide open. And if it was anybody except Miko ran, and that's going to be a one-timer to Bowen Byram. Like, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. 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 But one line further down, we were pretty upset last week. We were very concerned about what was going to happen with uh, the 
with Nazem Kadri and Brandon Saad and how long it would take them to figure it out. And I think we have our answer. Which is good. I don't know if yeah. getting Burakovsky back really helped that. I mean, it he, did. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting because he hasn't really been a a line driver before. Like, he's been productive, but it's if if Burkowski's truly becoming like that important, then then he's taken it up even another level, which we'll see. But certainly no complaints on those three for this week. They finally were back together, gelled. If that's all it took, fine. Like I knew that Sod and Kadri weren't like done. It's just a matter of like, uh, yeah, how long is it gonna take to get get it together? So Well, I've really enjoyed seeing Sod he is automatic from really close to the net. And I guess it's not, it's something that, that I probably, you know, saw when we played Chicago, but um, just watching it sort of as, a, you know, as a fan, as, as watching a guy on, on, on the abs, <clears throat> it's really amazing. I mean, he can just, it, it's his release is still amazing at his age. Um, So, I, I well, think it's good. That's, they need that front. That's, yeah. If and, that's and, all he does is is just get net front goals, that's fine by me. Well, he's he's good at passing it from behind the net as well, and we know we hate that because it's not total North hockey. But um, <laughs> you know yeah, that works really well. Exactly, and you know, Kadri, you know that he's pretty automatic from a different spot. He's more of a slot shooter. Um, so it's like you put those two guys and they both have their areas. And if, if Berkey can just keep, you know, playing his perimeter game, like he likes to and feeding the puck in close to those guys, I mean, that should work really well. It should. And as we, we've have started to see uh, some of those Brandon sought around the net and behind the net plays as, uh, he, when he got his, assist last night uh cole friend not not ian cole but friend of the show cole um is kind of immediately on twitter it's really good to see brandon saw start to figure out the abs and i I think that has had just as much an impact as burakovsky had of it just it just takes time to figure out your system and that's why i wasn't overly concerned about his slow start specifically um you always wonder if he ever will figure out the system and if he ever will mesh with it but he did this week, and well, hopefully, yeah. so we'll continue to see. Well, my issue with them was was the the defense, like the turnovers and stuff like that. Like, I was not worried about his production because that's those things come and go, and you can't worry about someone's production like five games into a season. But they cleaned it up in their own zone, and now they're getting points. So perfect. So. I think that brings us to our topic that I've held for last because it it's arcane and a little less interesting, um, to be frank. But the Avalanche are now a cap team, and they have to figure out how to navigate it. And they're, do they have space to call up anybody for the game on Sunday night, which has already happened? You'll already know the answer to this question by the time you hear this show, but it's going to continue to be an issue going like- forward. Be like, yeah, we know what happened, but um, but right, the 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 important part is is about how they're going to navigate going forward, and it's like they had 
a little bit of trouble when they made the coal trade and then getting pattern and it, that opened up a lot of space for them and then every day that goes by they'd get a little bit more and more space and they were in a good spot like before these injuries they were able they had room for two players which is that should usually more than cover you and now it's just two you can't have an injury every day like that's where all your cap space goes so we are not Leafs fans we are not used to this talking about LTIRR and how to use the cap like this so yeah we're not going to try to get into like the very minute detail here because we're not as familiar with it but it is something that is going to be relevant to the abs moving forward like even if they get through this stretch of injuries it's it's going to come up as they continue to be cap team yeah i mean as we stand right now, several hours before game time, it's like they're $250,000 underneath the cap and they only have 12 healthy forwards and five healthy defensemen. So what do? Um, and I don't know what you, what you do, you know, in a situation that's this close to game time. You basically either have to swap a forward for a defenseman, assuming you want to play with six defensemen, which I, I think we, we've decided that's probably the smartest course. <laughs> um, I mean, the only thing I can think of there is that emergency loans allow you to go over the daily cap a little bit. Um, but what I was looking at is something that they they might do later on to try and free up some cap space. And this is assuming a lot of things we don't know. Um, but to use long-term injury relief for... You know, one of one of the guys that doesn't look like is going to be back too soon. Um, you basically have to put a bunch of guys on the injured list, fill up your roster with the taxi squad guys, um, and then put a guy that 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 sort of makes you really close to the cap on long term injured reserve, and you get the most. I mean, one way they could do that is basically put the guys that are hurt on IR right now, call up Patterson, Bowers and McDonald. <clears throat> and that would put them quite a bit over the cap, but they take Calvert on long term and they get just under the cap and they get two point six million dollars worth of relief as long as Calvert's off. So and, that, and the that's interesting something, Yeah, the that's something they may of, consider. The interesting part of this is it would kind of show their hand on who who they really expect out for a, a while. Um, Which they hate doing. <laughs> right. So it will be interesting to see like who they choose or how they do this. Because they, you know, if the fourth line had been so good last night, you could say, well, you just don't play one of those guys, play a defenseman. Yeah. But knowing how Bednar works, he's going to want that line to play again. Right. So then it, it becomes a little bit tougher to say, all right, what, forward are you going to pull out to be able to play patterns so that yeah. seems that seems unlikely but the the other thing you explain with the LTIR is putting all those guys on IR and IR is just a week it's not like the biggest deal especially for anybody that's already missed a game like Taves Belmare yeah, like if Taves is really close then they kind of can't do that right right because you're pretty much saying all right well all these guys are out for a week and then LTIR I think is 24 days so those you have to truly be sure. And I don't know about a guy like Calvert because concussion stuff, 
what do you do if he starts feeling better and you don't necessarily want to rule him out for the for like a month so you you pretty much also want to pick somebody that you're sure is going to be out that long yeah I'd, from a money standpoint just his his cap hit works the best with what they have to fill up the roster right now like Belmer doesn't get you that much cuz he doesn't make as much and EJ's way too expensive you really can't take advantage of of EJ's cap hit and so it's you know, it's just one yeah. of those things that you've you've got to find the right fit for how much. Like, if you're going to do this, you need to get the max out of it, or it's just it's silly to do. Right. It. Like, if you and do it and you get four hundred thousand dollars in relief, I mean, it's it's really not worth doing. So pretty much. So yeah, it's it's not like free free cap money. You right. Still have to. It. I liken it to like a coupon. Like you want to go over as much as you can, and then use a certain player as like a coupon to like discount it back to where you're in cap compliance. Right. And I guess we should explain like a, a lot of people think you put someone on LTIR and you just get their salary or their, their cap it off no matter what. And that's not how it works. You got to be over the cap and then putting them on LTIR brings you back under the cap. So it's, if you're not over the cap, you can't use long-term injury relief. Right, and then you can only use that player once. So someone like right. EJ, of course you'd want to save because the, that $6 million. Well, first yeah. of all, they can't even call that many guys guys up right. to get $6 million. And then you'd want to save that because if you make some sort of deadline move or something where you bring in a guy with an actual cap hit, then then you'd use EJ at that time to give you room, assuming he gets to that point. I yeah. think it's a little early to tell right now if like EJ's in that consideration, but like guys like Calvert exactly. and Belmare are probably the easiest ones to say it's yeah. not going to be soon, and and they have just enough cap hit where it's going to help right now. Right, and they also they have four guys on emergency loan already, um, like Miska and O'Connor, and I think I think Timmons was. I, yeah, I, I think, think a lot of them is, and I think Sherwood is too. Yeah. Um, like Byram's so, the only one that isn't, which is good. <laughs> right. So it's like they haven't been doing normal call-ups on these guys. These they are all emergency, and I, you know, I wish we knew a lot about emergency. It's not really written somewhere where you can look it up easily. Um, right. Because the I know they're... about it. It's it's ten days, and then you have to do something else, and that's about all I know about it. But I think there's some cap implications, like it allows you to violate the daily cap a, a little bit. I think the emergencies but, are, there's something I was reading. Like if you have three emergency loans, then you can start getting into where you can get like a guy up from junior or something as like you're, you oh, know, when cool like Col when Columbus got foodie up is because after you have so many, emergency we have calls, a foodie right you in Fort Collins. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a contract though kind of a kind, kind of a hurdle, hurdle. Yeah. yeah but you know I don't know if they're gonna if because obviously there's no junior and the only junior guy they have signed is Byram and he's already like a real person now but yeah, I don't know if down the road if there is the WHL they could just be like oh we count Byram for that I don't know that's probably assuming way too much that never that's never yeah. going to happen, but I guess if, I, if I'm assuming that, that the Avs and every other team are going to be going through 
you know, all this gobbledygook on a pretty constant basis. Yeah. But I can also see, like, it doesn't hurt to designate someone injury or emergency, really. So if yeah. if by stacking them up gives them any sort of benefit, I guess we'll find out. Well, I yeah. mean, when they when they pulled Martin Cowd off the taxi squad and played him, that he was on an emergency loan, according to the cat-friendly yeah. transactions post. Yep. I think no, really been... only Byram has not been emergency. I feel like. Was Gilbert? I mean, that's the only other one, I think. I don't think it was an emergency at that point. Who knows? Yeah, not enough people. Yeah, that's yeah. hard to say, but... But you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, this arcane cap navigation stuff is it, a little well, bit Earl's less right. interesting than than yeah. McKinnon and Rantanen on a two-on-one, so... But, but it's Earl's important. right, it would and... be a lot more helpful for us if there was just spelled out somewhere like you can read the cba so a lot of the stuff we know but some of these other more specific rules that does come up and does matter to your team it's like you can't just get up somewhere so yeah. it's hard it's hard to just find them and especially as a as fans of a team like the avalanche you haven't had to give a single shit about the salary cap for years now um we, yeah, we've had to worry about that... the floor but <laughs> And, or when and this is stuff saving... that Chris McFarland is very good at. Um, th- this is one of his specialties. And well, every, cap every management. team, yeah, has to, has to do it. Well, it was funny when they had $8 million cap space and they're like playing with the daily cap. It's like, yeah. ah. He was just practicing matters, for this season. <laughs> I guess, I guess. Just trying to figure out what they are and aren't allowed to do with, with all this, right. with everything under this umbrella that I kind of think of as salary crap. <laughs> because it yeah. is difficult to care it is it is yep. and it and probably a lot of it doesn't matter it's just all about what what goes what you're doing on paper and this and that but when it does get to a point where it impacts who and when you can call someone up and play that's why fans would care and be like, why? Why the hell are you doing this? Why the hell can't we play this guy? That's when you want to get to. Well, it's because of this, this, and this. But we'll see. It's new for us too, so yeah. we'll see. All I know is we're about three hours from game time, and nobody knows shit yet. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the best thing to take away is that the the Avs probably know what they're doing pretty well with all this stuff, and that's. And, and you don't need to. <laughs> yeah, we, we can, as, when it comes to the day-to-day cat minutia, we can probably trust them to get it right until they don't. Yeah. Let's, until uh, Dries is playing, and then, and, then um, they've yes. made a mistake. And, and then you will hear some language. Um, let's do stars <laughs> and scratches. I went to look this up, and then I forgot to actually finish doing it, so I will let someone who isn't me go first. That's hard because it's been a good week. So, yeah, everyone, I mean, everyone's it, had their moments. Even Confer. <laughs> wow, like <laughs> let's not go that far. But power play uh, goal at the end. <laughs> <laughs> One more than he had. Goal, but yeah, <clears throat> um, that's really hard. Because yeah, because so many guys have had. Good weeks. 
Who do you yeah, really I mean, I, I'd start with out? with Sod just because you know he was he was getting flogged for a long time, and <laughs> okay, you know, and like we we just went over, you know, it, it does look like yeah, all right, he's fitting in now. His his line mates are getting comfortable with him, and, and he with them. So it's just good to see that he's fitting in, and you know, this this might just be a glimpse of what he can do. Um, you know, it's always hard. You you always have to stop yourself from saying, "Oh, he could score thirty goals," and then you remember well, we're only playing five eighths of a season. So, what does that mean? <laughs> but, I haven't done any of like the conversion. Like, if yeah. I think of someone as a forty point guy, well, what is that going to be this year? And I, I haven't well, thought of it like that yet. So, like, I still yeah, I was looking you. at Mac <laughs> last night, and everyone's you know everyone's down on Mac because he only has two goals, but he does have ten assists, and you know he's he's on like what would be a hundred point pace in a normal season. So he does look frustrated though. He needs he, he needs to go in the net. <laughs> <laughs> was funny. One of the I think it was someone from the news, like Nine News or something, was asking Bedner about McKinnon not scoring. <laughs> it's like. At that point, it was like the guy has ten points. Like, yeah. what? What are you? Why is this even a question? Like, oh boy, you know, is he really getting down because he's not scoring? But he does, <laughs> he did look frustrated last night. It was like, yeah, okay, um, <laughs> this guy needs a no, goal. Cause I, yeah, it's like we we talked about hitting posts a lot this week, and and he's done that for sure. Um. So, you know, just imagine him with like three or four more goals. And that's probably kind of what we're looking at for, you know, a, a McKinnon pace right now. And that's pretty scary. So I am going to repeat my star from last week, which was Miko Rantanen. The NHL leader in goals is Brock Besser, who has eight. And tied for second with Connor McDavid at seven is Miko Rantanen. Um, Miko yeah. has played two fewer games than Brock Besser and has played in the much less defensively bullshit Pacific Division compared to Besser's yeah. North Division where defense is an idea. <laughs> I know. After watching yeah. some of our games and then you put it like this morning is Buffalo, New Jersey. And I was like, oh, my God. It, what <laughs> What if, they, if this team was playing either of these teams? Jeez. The, the top goal scorers in the league, there, there's Miko and there's Max Pacioretty. Everyone else in the top, like, seven or eight, yeah, everyone else in the top eight is either Brock Besser, Montreal, or Toronto. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. or McDavid or Dreisaitl, who are going to be there regardless. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's Vancouver, Edmonton, Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal, Toronto. It's like, okay. <laughs> I see how this is. Yeah. But like, to keep for, up with forget the heart for McKinnon this year. <laughs> yeah, to, to keep up with those guys in that division for Miko is preposterous. Yeah, and he's been great. Yeah, it's too bad his streak was ended, but then the very next game he scores another. It's just like he's been really. I think he's been the best of the top line. So I I, I agree with agree. you singling him out and um. It's nice the second line's been going this week because the top line kind of has fallen off a little bit at five on five. Like not their what they're generating, but they just haven't been able to finish. And yeah, and but that's okay. And one thing Altitude mentioned last on Saturday night is that he hasn't even done this with a bunch of multi goal games. It's just one goal, one goal, one goal, one goal, one goal. Like yeah, 
keep which I I prefer that. His- it's the consistency that if you know this guy is a good bet to go out and score every single game, that gives you such an advantage. Because yeah, I hate like the garbage time. It's great when someone has a huge game and they get five points and everything or four goals, but that was that game, and it's so much more important to be consistent. Your, your NHL points leaders, of course, are Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, but you know who's number five? Andre Kopitar? Has 12 <laughs> points? What? Huh, that's it. I did not know that. that, that's, that is I saw that this morning, and I was like, what? It's really surprising. <laughs> I've, I've always really liked Kopitar, and I've, I haven't really dug into like his analytics or whatever, so I don't know if he has taken a step back. But I've always really liked him. That guy's always been legit. So. Uh, his, his team has sure taken a step back. So for him to have 11 assists is shocking. Yeah. I think we're still looking for one more star. I've thought about mine. It's tough. Um, I, th- I think I know who I want to name, but can I have an honorable mention too? Yeah, of course. Okay. I want to name Grubauer. I think he's... Well-deserved. He has... He's taken it up a notch. He's played really well, and he's he's been the difference in some of those games that were scoreless or close early on, and and he's made made the saves he needs to make. Like he's obviously gotten a lot of help, but I think he's played really well too. Yeah, he's two shutouts. I, I think they were saying last night or the night before that he didn't get a second shutout until. 30 or 40 games in the last year. Um, so, you know. It, and I know his analytics the, are good, too. I, I don't want to embarrass myself by trying to remember what they were, so I'm not going to. But just just know that our our goalie people have been giving us some uh, statistics that show that, uh, that he's been one of the better ones in the league. So. He's, he's, he has have been suppressing the hell out of people's shots against, and that's not easy for a goalie. Um, you know, sit back there for five, ten minutes, maybe even twenty minutes at a time, and not see a shot. So, you know, it, it's it's not easy to say like, oh, it's just a twenty save shutout kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sometimes and, and those know, are easier than a thirty five save shutout. And I know that we are pretty critical on goaltending, so I think it, it is needed to. Um, give him the credit when when he's he's had the week that he's had. The only goal he's allowed in the last two games, as the time of this recording, was the one that went off his mask, off the bar, and in. Yeah, and I do think that he he left a little too much room there. But yeah, that's that's a lot of magic bullshit too to to have it bounce like that. But hey, if that's the only mistake he makes in a game, in two that, games, that yeah, <laughs> yeah two games, that's. <laughs> You'll take that. So good job, Grubauer. And then <laughs> my honorable mention, I think the defense. I think, you know, all of Makar, Sam, Byram, ev- and everyone, everyone in general, but I, like, especially those three, they've been incredible. And they're backstopping this team as a defensive core. It's just, it's just something to marvel at. And the points, like, Sam has what, like, nine points? people have been talking about how good he's played and everything but like that's a good amount of production too for a guy that everyone was like oh 
he's never going to do much offensively. And and Makar hasn't even scored a goal and probably hasn't he hasn't really taken over a game yet. And he has what like what is it 10, 11 points? Not he to had mention a three assist game this week, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, but it's not about points. It's about like these. All of them are they're the decor they're the ones that are making this team go and the minutes that sam and mccarr are playing is that's incredible too just think about those two as your real true top pair and what they've done well and they're also they're holding opponents to just over 20 shots per hour this week uh at 5v5 and you know that's pretty ridiculous that that's pretty good (laughs) that that's that's why the honorable mention is to the defense as opposed to any one individual person because that's a systemic success no one person does sure right exactly i couldn't think of like who who in particular to single out i think they all deserve it so i'm going to start the downside by scratching the goalpost because Colorado <laughs> hit that a dozen times this week. I'm yeah. sh- I'm sure that half of those came from Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon specifically. Did I just say Nathan? I think I just said Nathan. From, from, from Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon specifically. Just beating the shit out of the post. Colorado were 4-0 this week if it weren't for John Gibson's posts. And they beat the Sharks yeah. by, by seven goals twice if it weren't for Devin Dubnik's posts. Give me a break. Angle your and, posts and, a little bit to the inside on your home rink, maybe. And Byron and Kadri up there too. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I, if you are a red bar, fuck yourself. <laughs> it's hard to find a, a player to scratch this week. It, it really is because when they win three games in a row, you're you're not really looking to dump yeah. on anyone, but. You know the third line hasn't still hasn't been fantastic. You know, I mean, Nuke scored, Donnie scored, Confer scored, not all together uh, at the same well, time. Well, I think those are all like special, basically all special teams <laughs> goals too. Yeah, but. and that just sort of goes along with that's that's where they store players when they're needed for other things. But <laughs> that's where um. they store players. <laughs> <laughs> Like Donnie's been pretty bad defensively, but he is the one that has been around the puck the most, getting those tips and yeah. and such. And so. he's actually been okay on the on the penalty kill. So you know, it, again, it, they they are. I made this point this morning, but it's just they're they're all too alike to play together. They all do basically the same thing in slightly different ways, and you just can't put put them together and expect much um, well if you have so. three of your four lines going then yeah it's it's like a nitpick or whatever like it's obviously not causing losses yeah so it's fine it's just <laughs> it you know they're gonna lose a game it's gonna it's it's not always gonna be this wonderful experience tonight, maybe. right <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's ups and downs so it's like Okay, you you talk about the power play. It's like, how can you complain about the power play they had two last night? It's just like it's it's not about what just happened. It's about what 
is going to yeah. impact future wins. So maybe it's about like... getting a four minute power play at the end of the second period <laughs> when you can put the game away and just doing nothing with it. Maybe we should, <laughs> maybe we need to scratch the power play for scoring two goals last night and making everyone think it's good. <laughs> yeah, because power play one has been like hashtag bad. Like, power play one can't bad. get into the zone. Like, you, you've got Nathan McKinnon, Mikko Ranton, and Kale McCarr, and you can't get into the zone? Are you kidding me? Like, I think at yeah. this point, the second unit has scored more goals, which, and then you'd say, hey, that's a good thing that your second unit can do it. And sure, it is, but you, you can't rely on that even less. And we've also seen that story before. We, <laughs> we saw that story when Alex Kerfoot was a power play revelation. And then yeah. the team finished, like, bottom five in power play that year. So, obviously, none of these things are causing them to lose. It's just there will be losses in the future, and we hope to have yeah. as few of them as possible. Yeah. Power things plays don't at. win or lose a game, or don't win or lose games, plural, but they can absolutely win or lose a game. And in the in the playoffs, it's going to come down to a game, so you want every chance you can get to win a game. I think we're waiting for Earl Scratch. And he's gone. I yeah. I, I would scratch injuries. Um, Wait, yeah, I was thinking about that too. It's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Have we have we had enough? Seriously, because and, and, and every it, it, every team gets injured. I think as fans think they're like cursed. Like, you, if you look at like Cap Friendly or whatever, you see every team has injuries. But I mean, this week has been ridiculous. Come on. Okay. Yeah. A team can't have this many in a week. It's just we've talked about how it Im implicates your cap. It's just you're trying to get a rhythm, you're trying to play some of these guys and you just you can't have four or five guys missing just like poof like that. <laughs> Maybe this year will be a little different cuz it's short and cuz of the COVID protocols and stuff, but in the past one of the best predictors of your eventually Stanley Cup champion not even reaching the game, your eventual Stanley Cup champion has been which teams have the lowest chip, which is cap hit of injured players. Yeah, you just have to get lucky and, and knock on wood, the Avs haven't lost like a, a big one. Let, let's hope to God because we can't go there. So please let this just be it. We're just not even going to put it in the universe. No, so, I won't say it's no. <laughs> so you can probably tell from what our d decisions to scratch were this week that it's been a very strong week for Colorado, regardless of our giant rant about how they use the taxi squad. And about the existence of Sheldon Dries. Coming up next week, apart from the game that's already happened, Colorado head back home for two more games against the Wild. Tuesday is 6.30 Mountain, which looks like it's on NBC Sports, which is going away soon, by the way. Didn't have time to get into that today. Then on Thursday, 7 o'clock Mountain, they play another weekend back-to-back -back next weekend, this time in St. Louis against the Blues, and those will both be 1 o'clock Mountain starts. And the next episode of this show looks like it's going to happen after the Saturday game, Saturday game, so it should be available late Saturday evening. And that leaves three games to predict if you don't include tonight, which we probably should not. So it's Minnesota X2 and St. Louis X1. It's very nice to get back to some actual hockey games that are watchable and, and parsable as hockey. Well, you hope to. It's so weird saying that about Minnesota as well. It is. <clears throat> 
But it's you true. You hope two out of three. You really do. That's probably my guess. Okay. I'm going all in. Six points. You know, I want to... And, and I have them winning tonight, too, as well. Ooh, that's a, that's a streak. Yeah, I, th- I think tonight might be when when the universe kind of converges on I know. some things. And that was, well, no, that was my prediction from last week. So And not I just mean, because Misk is playing and you just kind of don't want to. I only have five defensemen. <laughs> <laughs> and that may be what they play with. Because there's, it's, yeah. right now it's four o'clock central. The game is at seven central and nobody has announced anything. Like, no. isn't, isn't your deadline to make moves five Eastern? It is, but that doesn't mean... It's posted, but so we'll yeah. see. But it just it, it it feels like a natural. They've had a good week. They won three in a row. They if you much... want to show up Vegas and say like, "Hey, you won some games, thirteen forwards and five defensemen." We can do it with twelve <laughs> forwards and five defensemen. <laughs> yeah, and, and even against Minnesota, who's a real hockey team, <laughs> your move. <laughs> I just feel like Minnesota's going to come out and they're they're going to like just try to hit everything and just really bullshit it up and they might so but they well also last night. Th- they also lost Matt Dumba last night so that that does hurt a yeah big absolutely and then they still don't have Fiala. Yeah, Fiala Kevin Fiala's out too. They can't even get mad at us for that. Yeah, Fiala's out for 3 games for trying to kill a guy. And they're going to play Talbot, who's been on the shelf a bit. He could be a little rusty. and So, yeah, this is certainly still a winnable game for the Avs. It, yeah. just, it feels like one of these nights is going to come They're going to come up a little short. But if it's not tonight, that's fine by me, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that brings us to the end of the show. Been a little bit of a roller coaster today. Um because we 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 focus so much on kind of the long angle and finding you know things that are worth criticizing that it we it definitely has a more negative tone today than the team probably deserves um <laughs> but that's that's fine that's that's fine there's there's not really other shows that I know of that are doing that so i'm I'm happy to be the the naysayers the like the only naysayers left if there's if that's our role, I can. I'm oh well, I mean, you can always count on me for that. So, <laughs> I mean, as long as I'm on this show, you, you know you'll get that. But sure, you, how they're playing right now, how they played last night, can't be anything but happy about that. You can't, and and hopefully they continued that on Sunday night. You know, we don't. We'll talk about it next week. Because I don't think Frank got hurt the day they said he got hurt. Because Werner was already there. Which, I mean, unless they invented teleportation and let us know, then Frank didn't get hurt that day. Well, if they did, you know they wouldn't tell us. (laughs) Yeah. It also could be he got hurt, they called up Werner, and then Frank tried to see if it was okay, and then... Wasn't. Sure. Yeah, sure. And and that's when they said he was injured. Cuz that's yeah. only like a little bit of a lie. <laughs>